0: Hello and welcome to counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now recently we had the local elections which by and large were a big success for the Conservatives and a bit of a disaster for Labour. But what has happened therefore to the smaller parties that were standing and indeed what is the broader question when it comes to what you might call insurgent parties? Where is the next one actually going to come from? Because certainly in the past decade British politics has been characterised by a number of parties coming up and then maybe disappearing. And also for that matter, what is the future for conservatism as an idea? Now to discuss this, I'm very pleased you have with us today, first of all, Robin Aiken, formerly BBC uh, journalist and producer and and a journalist now for the Daily Telegraph. Uh, Also we have Patrick O'Flynn, who is a former political editor of the Daily Express, of course, writes for The Spectator and The Telegraph, amongst others, and Rafe hadelman commentator and historian, of course, from the New Culture Forum. Um, can I by asking you, Patrick, because this was slightly inspired by a piece you wrote in the Spectator, which was, where is the next insurgency going to come from? I just wonder, what do you think it, now in light of the elections. Where do you think it's going to come from now?
1: Well, I think the election results underline my basic point, which was the the, the kind of new generation of, of smaller right-wing would-be insurgent parties haven't found an issue to give them traction, as, in, as we remember UKIP had uh, with the push to Brexit and the Brexit party had with the push to get Brexit actually over the line. And uh, they've taken um, various punts which haven't come good so far. Uh, Obviously Nigel Farage, uh, the the one really, really famous person with an enormous following on the right has stepped away for now, whether it's for good we'll see. Um, And Richard Tice is the successor there and Richard's really taken a punt on uh, taxation and over taxation and the potential for tax cuts Uh, being an issue where where traction will follow. And that simply didn't happen uh, in in those elections. Um, Lawrence Fox and Reclaim, uh, you know, didn't really generate uh, much broad support either. Uh, And I think that those parties, there needs to be an amalgamation before they can even get going at all. Uh, and whatever you think about Reform UK and Richard Tice, they are the only one that features in opinion polls. I don't think any of the other parties, you know, the Heritage Party, things like that, have ever even re- had any recordable support in an opinion poll. So although Reform is on two to 4%, it owns the banner. And, and um, if, if uh, the parties of both the cultural and the economic right uh, want to get going, they probably all need to agree that there's a banner in the sand that they want to, to rally what potential support there is uh, around. And I don't even think they've, they've reached that kind of base camp yet. Were you surprised, actually, just when we think back to
0: the elections in London, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, but I was surprised that, you know, that people always said, oh, these parties won't do very well in London. But then the Tories actually did remarkably well, actually, in London, didn't they?
1: Yes, and I thought, to be fair, I I ended up giving um, Sean Bailey my second preference, having, you know, really not liked him when he was uh, almost praising the Metropolitan Police for taking a knee. Mm. And there were various other ideas, which I didn't think were terribly good ones, attached to him. But he showed a bit of gutsiness, I thought, as the campaign uh, wore on. Um, And he did indeed do very well, and I think particularly in the the outer boroughs. Uh, And the idea that Sadiq Khan might win on the first ballot, Uh, were swept away. But I think that reflects something uh, that I've learned over the years, that the the outer boroughs of London, the opinion uh, as a whole in those places is not markedly different from the kind of less fashionable southern towns, or even, dare I say it, the Red Wall, particularly on cultural and social issues. Uh,
0: Although that is actually slowly disintegrating, isn't it, Rafe? You know, the kind of what they call the donuts.
2: It's demographically changing as well, isn't it? Demographically, it's it's changing. Um, But I think the the broader issue we have to be asking here is, is there any need for these right-wing parties? Mm. That's the view of a lot of people. A lot of people will be asking, especially our viewers and those who voted UKIP and voted Brexit Party, will be saying, well, what's the need? UKIP and Brexit achieved what they wanted to achieve. Mm. We've now got this stonking majority with Boris Johnson in Parliament holding the left to check. The left are now impotent. We see these headline grabbing um, sound bites about, uh, well, in, such as in the Queen's speech, about cancel culture being attacked in universities, mm. about limiting asylum, uh, crossing asylum seekers crossing the channel. We've heard before about potential reforms to the civil service and to the BBC. So it seems on a superficial level, as if there's no need for a, for, a, for any more right-wing parties. Of course, the reality is, this is all, in my opinion, a fairly insubstantial policy in terms of the Conservative Party. We know full well that Boris Johnson is really a metropolitan liberal, as you've seen by his choice in Girlfriend, you know, the, the most tree-hugging Tory you could possibly find. There's no true conservatism in the Tory party. Unfortunately, the Tory party's great success, the reason it is the world's most successful political party, is it knows how to evolve and adapt. It's never been very closely tied to ideology, unlike the left, which is one of the reasons for their problem, and they've parked their tanks seemingly on UKIP's ground, and so they seem to be addressing all of the concerns and grievances of small-c conservatives in that red wall. The reality is very different, but it really takes these smaller parties to reveal to the public just how thin these Tory party pledges are, because for example, on the university level, anyone who's banned from speaking at university has to take this through the courts to get any financial yes, redress. Yes. Who's going to go through that you know, yeah, hassle? Yeah. And we've seen with Tim Davies, apart from cancelling the Mash report, there's no proper reform taking place at the, the BBC, as, as Robin knows. So, that's, so those are the problems which are really affle- afflicting and affecting the, 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 the reclaim reform and the heritage, etc.
0: W- would you say that, the, the, like, Rafe, that it's a bit of a, a synthetic kind of conservatism therefore at the moment...
3: Yeah, chairman. very much. I mean, I, the, the way I see it is that uh, Boris and the Tories benefited this time around, still in the backwash of the success of uh, achieving Brexit, you know, having delivered on that, but then the success of the vaccination programme. I think, in a way, the election we had last week um, was uh, masked some of the underlying real issues so i think there's there's a real question mark about the authenticity of uh, boris's or, or the Tories' social conservatism i mean everyone is saying that it is social conservatives in places like hartlepool who are attracted by this anti-woke tory party well how anti-woke is the tory party that's the real question i mean it's a question of authenticity if the, you know, everyone, people are talking about uh, Starmer and Labour having this very awkward coalition of social conservatives in places like Hartlepool and then the woke social warriors down in London, right? But the Tories have a similar problem in a sense. We know that, you know, most most gut Tories or a lot of gut Tory supporters are what one would term social conservatives. Mm. Is Boris going to deliver on that? I and mean, we didn't see that last week because there were other issues in people's minds. I mean, I think the vaccination program don't know if you'd agree, I mean, it, it seems to me, Patrick, that the success of the incumbent government um, or the apparent success and the, the vaccination program, let, no, let's not, let's not be mean-spirited. There has been a success with the vaccination program, hasn't there? And I'm sure that that was a big factor mm-hmm. In the Tory success last week?
1: Well, I'd agree with that to an extent. Uh, there's been a vaccination bounce, definitely. Uh, there's also, you know, getting Brexit done. People watch Boris Johnson come through a heck of a lot of abuse and the establishment trying every trick in the book. Mm. And whether people say he doesn't believe in a lot or not, he, he had enough belief to deliver and, in a way, salvage British democracy from the elite to deliver a, a meaningful Brexit. so And then, of course, he won his landslide. So I think people think Boris Johnson is a big deal, Prime Minister. You know, he, He's not just a stopgap. He's not a Theresa May. He's not a Gordon Brown. He's not even a David Cameron. He is potentially a Blair or Thatcher, an epoch definer. Mm. And these are early days. And, and they're, t- they're tempted to, to roll with him for a bit. Mm. Um, so I think um, in terms of the smaller parties of the right, they need to be sort of... Uh, uh, rooting out what the issues are, what the issues are that yeah. he's not going to to cover, and I suspect actually that that uh, immigration control is going to come back as a big issue. We we people have talked about you, you talked about his him being uh, a London liberal basically. Well, you know, on his his immigration policy towards migration from India, Hong Kong Chinese, I think you're going to see uh, an upsurge in immigration without necessarily the public infrastructure being expanded to cope with that. And we'll be back into just the issue that, that, that lit the touch paper for UKIP. Uh, and certainly none of the other parliamentary parties, which are all in the grip of no borders fanatics, are going to be taking him on on that. So I think there is a gap there. It looks to me like Richard Tyson reform, it's not their natural mm. territory uh we'll 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 see i mean i mean i'm a member of, of the sDP which is a bit left on economics but but to the right on 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 culture and very kind of um skeptical about mass migration, but again, getting that to a position of having any traction uh, does seem a long way off
2: too patrick exactly right on this point, and i don 't know why richard Tice didn 't seize that in pool It will seems to be very clear to everybody that it's those sorts of issues which are more, far more cutting than pursuing a neocon Thatcher idea of smaller state and, and lower taxes in that region of the world, former Labour voters aren't going to be attracted by that offer. Similarly, I was not never quite clear why you know, reclaim would would follow an anti-lockdown policy as their central thing when most people in the country <laughs> were, were actually happy with, with with the levels that things were at. And if you're not appealing to the majority of people, you're always going to have a very slow, a very a very a very very low uptake. I had huge hopes back in December when when Johnson was. I, I never. I was always aware of Johnson never being a true conservative, but I had great hopes when I saw this red wall of new grassroots Tory MPs who were plugged into the needs and concerns of their voters, plus Dominic Cummings and the Vote Leave team who were very shrewd and knew full well the path to success. And had it not been for COVID and (laughs) Barnard Castle, Cummings will still be there, would still be untouchable and would still have had time to implement his policies in terms of the long march through the institutions, which I think is a 10 or 15 year project, just as it was a 10 year project for Tony Blair to turn things in his way. It requires the same amount of time. And we did have that opportunity earlier this year mm-hmm. with Dominic Cummings steering things and the purge of Carrie Simons and her team against the vote leave, in my mind, was Tragic because it really is going to show this Versailles court at number ten disconnected completely from the population uh, in the north of England, yeah. and that's why I think all of this, these headline grabbing social conservative, um, sound bites are meaningless really at the end of the day because you aren't going to see any great change on immigration, which is the policy that should be adopted by right wing parties if they have any hope.
3: Yeah.
0: It's interesting as you say about uh, reform not being particularly inclined to take on immigration, but I don't think Reclaim is either. I mean, no, no one's particularly uh, taking it on. At
3: the no, well, I mean, I, I mean, I think, you know, there's, um, I think that Pretty Patel is offering some good cover to the government on that because I think um, most observers take her as pretty authentic on that issue. I don't read pretty Patel as anything other than a fairly hardline Home secretary who wants to deliver on limiting immigration I mean like Rafe I was I was very disheartened actually when um, Dominic Cummings was 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 defenestrated um, basically because I I think he's one of the few um, the few people of the last three or four decades who really gets what a problem the BBC is. Um, and I thought it was, I thought his tactic, which he enforced when, um, at the beginning of last year, when he was starving the Today programme of government ministers, that was a very effective thing to yeah, do to the yeah. BBC. It was very effective. And I mean, I, I wrote about this also, and, and about the way in which the BBC really set out to get Cummings. I felt that there was a definite campaign to, to, um, to delegitimize him over the Barnard Castle thing. And I suspect that the reason for that, part of the reason for that, I mean, there were, there were journalistic reasons to go after him. I accept that. I also think that within the BBC, they saw Cummings as somebody who was a real threat of the corporation and it was no coincidence that the BBC mounted that fierce campaign against Cummings over those months over something which really frankly um, when you look at the, the substance of the of, of the allegation they were piffling oh. and any father in his position of a, of a young child like that I thought was entirely legitimate what Cummings did actually but you know, there was rejoicing, I am sure, in BBC corridors when Cummings was given the heave. And I think it's an enormous shame. Although, just as a final point, I would say that the installation of Robbie Gibb as um, one of the the, um, unitary board members at the BBC last week or two weeks ago, I thought that was an encouraging sign because I don't think Robbie Gibb, Robbie Gibb knows where the... Bodies are buried in the BBC. He knows what he's about, that bloke. And when he was head of BBC Westminster, he made it known that, you know, he wanted there to be a, um, a different approach to to Tory issues and Tory politics. And I, I have some hope that the reform programme within the BBC has not entirely expired with the departure of Cummings.
0: It sort of, it, it, it feels to me like they row back, you know, Actually, again going back to this synthetic point, you know, the, they were really going to be tough on the BBC, you know, and 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 this mm. thing. and there was talk of decriminalising the licence, but I think oh. that's been kicked into the long grass, yeah. hasn't it? Now, I mm. mean, do you th- just go back to that point? That, Rafe made actually, Patrick, do you think that it was wrong for the smaller parties this time to coalesce, which they all seem to do, uh, around the lockdown issue? You know, you you saw these demonstrations and reclaim and reform and it sort of seemed to me that, you know, when it came to actually support for that in the country, it
1: was quite obstinately always around about 20-30%. Yes, and I think, as time went on, probably dipped below uh, mm. that. and i I think that showed that just as there is a liberal left Twitter bubble, there is also a right mm. Twitter bubble mm. as well, <laughs> which was very galvanized uh, around anti lockdown, even to the point of punting conspiracy theories about uh, Covid uh, on its fringes. Um, that's not so there there is a serious point about the dictatorship of the majority. Uh, that we should all talk about post COVID, just because you know sixty five percent of people might say they want to legally ban you from stepping outside your front door, uh, is that a legitimate reason okay, yeah. for a law to be passed to prevent you doing that? And and you know what core of individual rights. Uh, supersede that, and what? How severe does an emergency have to be for the government uh, to do that? And None of that really got talked about. So there, there was certainly uh, an intellectual uh, a, a point about liberty uh, there, but in terms of it, of it having mass purchase, uh, no, it didn't. And I think it, it's kind of undermined the potential breadth uh, that something like reclaim and can can manage. Mm. I don't think necessarily Richard Tice's credibility was harmed particularly, and he seemed to uh, articulate anti-lockdown in a slightly more uh, nuanced way. But no, it, it wasn't a winning horse, that's mm. for sure. It
0: sort of seems to me,
1: really, that uh, they're sort of
0: out on a limb, these parties, but you mentioned a banner issue, in fact, immigration. Is that the only one? Is that... If you're looking to the future, once this euphoria has, has gone away from the elections and the Tories, what issues, I mean, to me, it seems that people are, actually, you mentioned in your article, Patrick, uh, there's not enough disgust around, I think, is what you said. It's yeah, not, not, there does, isn't a match. I think I see, I see disgust everywhere. <laughs> Do you, well, well, I, I think in general
1: there's not because I think actually that Boris Johnson is a kind of brilliant centrist. He, he, he. I mean, even on uh, environmental stuff, where again the right Twitter bubble thinks he's he's bankrupting the country and it's all nut nuts and 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 this stuff. If you look at the polling, I was looking at the underlying issues polling today. Concern about the environment is now number three, and he's got it covered. And he's got it covered in a way that, that the voters see annoys the Tory right. His ultra Keynesian response to the the COVID crisis annoyed the Tory right, but that largely seemed to 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 come through okay. And yet he annoyed the Liberal left massively by delivering Brexit. I think he he is he has got a blend of issues in a sort of pragmatic israelian way that that do constitute a sort of conservatism and it's the sort of and general sense of patriotism and being happy with the flag and all that that labor aren't and and it's the conservatism that that keeps labor out and prevents the country from from really going into a socialist Mm -hmm. tailspin and that's always been one version of conservatism and you know he's a he's a master of it but but do you but do you not feel that robin that people are I get a feeling
0: of intense anger and and exasperation. I mean, this isn't just me looking in the mirror. Uh, I I do feel on the issues of free speech, on the issues of trans, on the issues of all these things, day in, day out. It's never ending.
3: I agree with you. And I I think that there is a, albeit a minority, a growing minority, which is fed up to the back teeth with wokeism and, uh, you know, these issues, the ones you've mentioned, um, these are the things which which really animate um, a real sense of anger amongst a minority of people. Uh, and it, they tend to be on the right, you know. It, it's absurd, isn't it, that free speech is regarded as a right-wing issue. I mean, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, just saying that, its it, it, it it's such a, it's such an OTOs construction that, of course, it's not alright. You know, free speech is an issue for everybody, and I think that the the salience of that issue will, in time, animate the left also. Because it's interesting that I mean, across the water in Washington, there are now voices even within the 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 the, the Democratic Party who are. Raising concerns about, for instance, what happened with Trump and 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 Twitter and you know the other big um, Silicon Valley uh, companies, which have which have which have banished the man, and that is, you know that that is something which whatever you think of Trump, I actually happened to be a I, I was rather a fan of Trump, so I was outraged by it from the beginning, but people on the left can see the dangers of that. Surely, I think the salience of that issue will rise. I mean, just. On, on this question of the the minor parties of the right, to me, I think there's no, there isn't at the moment an issue around which they can coalesce properly. I think in time, the tax issue, which has been identified by reform and by Richard Tice, that's an issue which might, in a few years' time, have more salience, because, I mean, we there's a big punt, isn't there, on the economy at the moment. We don't know what's going to happen to inflation. We don't know what the Treasury is going to have to do about raising taxes to cover all this money we've spent on furlough and all those kind of things. Now, if at some point the tax rises begin to rub and they begin to rub on ordinary middle class folk, that's a point at which you could get some an issue which really gave something for a party of the right to run with. We're not there yet.
2: And the problem with the small right-wing parties is that the Tory party is appearing to tackle cancel culture issues, is appearing to mm-hmm. tackle work issues. They have the union flag behind every MP when they speak on television. You're seeing these these headline-grabbing sound bites. And, of course, we know that that's not the reality. But also, at this current time, he's got Brexit done uh, and the vaccination programme is going pretty well. The, the people are grateful for the furlough scheme and the fact that people haven't got high unemployment rates. The economy is, do, is doing hopefully very well. We're supposed to have the biggest rebound, I think, in, in, in Europe. In my view, unless immigration and, and, and work issues, work issues on their own, I don't think are big enough of an issue to get people to vote for a party, right? The work issues are an annoyance for a lot of people, a huge frustration, but I can't see that as it on its own. Tied with immigration, possibly there's an opportunity there. But I would imagine, if unless immigration gets completely out of control, easily be 10 years or so before you get the, the, the growth of an issue similar to, to Europe which caused UKIP's rise. There's a, there's 10 years now of, of Tory rule. What used to annoy me for the past 15, 20 years was in every manifesto of the Tory party, there was a pledge to lower immigration. <laughs> Every at the end of that four years, they had broken. They had broken that pledge phenomenally, mm. and they again made a similar pledge. And I thought, mm. at what point are people going to realise mm. they are lying blatantly? So even immigration, you know, I do wonder about whether that's mm. actually even that's going to be a sufficient of an issue.
1: And I, I think as well, the Tories clearly have a talent for shape shifting. <laughs> and if if there is a bit of traction picked up on tax cutting, then Rishi Sunak may discover he's more of a tax cutter <laughs> than Boris Johnson was. Liz Truss will yeah. step to the fore. Yeah. Uh, Sajid Javid might be recalled, uh, and and they'll suddenly all believe in mm. uh, in in galvanising incentives by by lowering uh, taxation. And will, you know, the small business community might say thank you very much to the little party that put it on the agenda, but come polling day in a general election, uh, all of history tells us it's better the devil you know, and, and they'll go back to the Conservative Party. The thing is,
0: is that with the Tory, Tory party, you can't keep away from it, can you? I mean, the, the thing is with them is is that they have got this ability to give the impression. Look at the Queen's speech, you know. In fact, it's not unlike the STP, you know, tackling right culturally, tacking left mm. economically, and all, but very skin deep. Mm. And they manage somehow to give this impression. But actually, when it comes to it, I mean, it is, it, is, it is really, there's not very much there. And I think there will come a point maybe, surely, where people sort of see that and sort of, What do we hear all the time, you know, going back to UKIP days, was was, um, why do you trust the Tories all the time? Why do you keep trusting the Tories? If you look over to France, I mean, you know, you can see an issue there, you know, where there seemed like whole parts of the army are writing (laughs) letters to the government (laughs) saying that the country is disintegrating. This issue, which is the one of radical Islam, Islamism, whatever you call it, what you want, has taken a real backseat. Yeah,
3: no, absolutely. This is
0: one that actually could arise again, is it not?
3: Well it, it is but I mean you, you only have, I mean you have to stand back sometimes and uh, just admire the sheer slipperiness of the Tory party on these issues and you know that sounds like a very pejorative thing to say but what I mean is um the way to success in British politics is to occupy the centre ground isn't it to to actually to to construct a coalition which is gonna give you a majority in the the first-past-the-post system. And the one thing you mustn't do is scare the horses. That's the thing, you can't frighten the horses. So issues like immigration, issues like Islam, um, radical Islam, um, if the Tories were to come out too um, vigorously on those issues, there would be a backlash and that's the thing which they want to avoid and 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 you know the the success of the Tory party is it you know pundits are always saying this about how it's the most successful political party in the western world that's true it is actually and it's shown itself to be resilient and it shape-shifts all the time It, it Tax with the wind whichever the way the wind is blowing and that's why totally
0: lacking in principle is what you're saying (laughs)
3: well he's sort of you know i mean the thing is you you, but do you not you know that the thing is if politics is about if being in power is is you know the whole point of it isn't it and 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 they are and they have been and they probably will be for the next decade well you know um that's That's what political success looks like.
2: Churchill once said, it's very hard for a nation to look up to somebody who always has his ear to the ground. (laughs) But um, that has been the secret to success for Boris Johnson, certainly. And it's that shape-shifting nature of the Tory party, which I think the smaller parties should use to their advantage, because it's a mistake to view these parties as rivals or alternatives to the Tory party our electoral system simply alone means that there's an absolutely no chance that they're going to get into power rather than alternatives I view them more as regulators or as you know, mm, quality, yeah. quality, commission, mm, quality control commission mm, yeah, yeah. just as UK if it wasn't for UKIP there would have been no EU referendum right Brexit party was there to keep their feet to the fire and so on things like if they are going to shift on immigration let it be these parties that mm. threaten their majority and only then will you see change and that's really the dynamic, you know, that I, I,
0: I... In both of those cases, the UKIP and then the Brexit Party, in some ways, I mean, the Brexit Party came up like that, didn't it? Largely mm. because of Nigel Farage, mm. but, but it came and it did what it was meant to. You know, it, kept, you know, it basically kept them honest, didn't it? But um, the interesting thing here surely is that you say that uh, it's got to be these pressure groups, essentially. Mm. Uh, but then you look at the left and they do have an array of parties actually
1: with I mean, traction with, with representation with the well do. i think it, it may be that the logjam is more likely to be broken on the left because the labour party is going to have to start justifying its position as one of the big two parties and it's it's going to lose a fifth general election in a row i think it will lose at least as badly as it lost in december 19 which will take the sixth general election in a row out of their remit and you have you know the greens now getting traction representing this tribe uh, that Robin was talking about, the, the urban graduate liberal left uh, it, it, in rather a, an exciting way for them and they're, they're not lumbered with all this Labour Party baggage. So <laughs> it may be that something breaks on the left and then it, it, it filters across to the right somehow and opens up uh, new opportunities in ways that we cannot at the moment uh, foresee. But, but I think that's a more likely thing is, is Labour, it won't disappear but it might become a party of 150 seats maximum and there's room for other things.
2: I think this is a fundamentally important point, right? UKIP and then the Brexit party came closest to breaking this two-party system that we had. You know, uh, if you look at the Brexit party, had had Theresa May remained in power or had Rory Stewart succeeded her, there would have been over a hundred seats for the Brexit party. Boris Johnson was the only Tory party leader candidate who was assured to secure a majority. All of the rest would have basically started perhaps the inevitable decline of the Tory party. Now, would that have been a good thing or a bad thing? What we have to realise is, despite what we've seen in the local elections, a minority of people in this country vote for centre-right parties the majority of people in this country vote for the left. So the first part of the post system gives us this false idea that this is still a naturally conservative country when we know full well that 60% of this nation vote for left-wing parties. The conservative mm-hmm. party's success is the fact that there's a fragmented left between the SNP, Greens, Plaid Cymru, Labour and so forth. If you could take up all the parties who voted in the local elections Fewer than 37% voted for centre-right parties. And you had 64, 65 voting for parties on the left. And this is the same with with any general election. It's the fact that the Tories have this ability to secure a majority government with 36 or so percent of the the population voting that gives a a Tory majority. So if there was to be any electoral reform, for example, and you were going to open it up to the fact, because it was grossly unfair against natural justice for UKIP in 2015 to secure 3.8 million votes, which is equal... To the combined votes of the SNP and the Lib Dems, they got something they got over six they got 64 seats between them, mm. and there was one vote, there was one MP for UKIP. That's unfair. So you can understand why you would want to have proportional mm. representation. But if you do that, then say goodbye to any future <coughs> right-wing government in this country. You would just have successive Labour and left-wing coalitions. And that's a sad reality.
0: I take I do take issue slightly with this idea, you know, people vote for left-wing parties. Uh they might not perceive them as left wing because I mean, the the fact is is that what is it, sixty five seventy percent of people, for example, didn't want the songs at the proms to go. <laughs> yeah. I I'm far,
3: yeah. I think that's far yeah.
0: more
2: of a guide. actually. Yeah. Sure, I but think, I don't know anyone who wouldn't say that Labour, Lib Dem, SNP, Plaid Cymru, and the Greens aren't left there, right? No, <laughs> but but I think the isn't Greens, Rafe, I think probably some people?
3: Isn't the point though, Rafe, that that some of these issues we've been talking about, like. Um, free speech, for instance, or um, immigration. Some of the people, so if you vote for the Greens, you're not necessarily somebody who wants to see an end to female lavatories, not necessarily.
1: Although that they, the, the Greens and their activist base are probably the most militant party. They are, uh, pro- but I'm talking about the voters. Party. Right. So to an extent, some of the voters might not yeah. be voting for that reason, Um
3: So so if you say, well, 60% of the voters vote for left-wing parties, what I'm saying is that that is true um, at a factual level. So can't be argued with, you're right. But there are issues which cut across all parties and underlie, um, underlie the headline voting patterns. So that what we're talking about is cultural politics mm. aren't we and mm. and and, th- and so these these can't be pigeonholed you know it isn't the case that only people who vote tory are worried about free speech mm. it's not only the yeah. it's not only tories who worry about um, you know, gender issues and, and this idea that we can be whatever the hell we want to be just at the drop of a hat. You know, that, 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 that that's dis-
2: absolutely correct. But these are still left wing parties. It's always a, manor- it's a minority of people who vote for those parties hmm. who are not from the left. For example, I think it was one third of Green Party v- voters were pro-Brexit. <laughs> yeah, well, 25% were. of s voters were pro-Brexit. These are substantial minorities. But they are still minorities and they don't carry the day when it comes to the manifestos of those parties. So yes, absolutely, you know, free speech is not a right-wing issue. But my point is, woke or transgender rights, but my point is, is the, the very battle that's going on within Labour right now between social services and the woke. That's being replicated in other parties where the distinction is even more extreme. And I'm sorry, but I don't believe that people who may be slightly concerned about these issues are going to carry the day when it comes to the manifestos mm. that will be implemented by these future left-wing governments
0: if you if you uh accept that for example labor might always be at 150 or 200 it becomes a kind of zombie party never quite mm. get there isn't it the case that one thing that could happen is that they could adopt a policy of total electoral reform it could then be in
1: their favor they could do they they could think there will come a parliament and an election where us, plus the SNP, plus the Liberal Democrats, Greens, Plaid, SDLP, will get 326 seats, will change the electoral system, uh, and then it's under new rules. And that could have, I don't quite agree that, that then we're kind of anchored with the left of centre majority in parliament, because I think uh, uh, political opinion in those parties, if they did implement some of the more extreme woke ideas, uh, might shift, Uh, to the Conservatives and other parties of the right in in bigger ways than than they have done yet. Uh, But we're into a a new world then, that's for sure.
2: In previous decades, I might have agreed with that. Hmm. The problem is we have not only a cultural divide in this country, we have an age demographic divide. And the fact that the younger generation, particularly the university educated, I mean, what was it when Corbyn was elected, oh, if um, huge, yes. if those under 25 have been the only ones to vote, there would have been 500 seats <laughs> yeah. of the Labour Party. Yeah, yeah. And that's my concern, yeah. is that what you're saying is correct. But uh, as the years go on, there's inevitably going to be a, a, a lurch to the left, as we're seeing, because of, you know, well, I call them indoctrination camps, you might call them universities. And the teacher training colleges, we know, where fewer than 10% of teachers Uh, vote Tory and I think this is where the Tory party can't be complacent and I think it is complacent it's resting on its laurels that it has this huge majority but if it doesn't tackle the the time bomb of the of the younger generations political allegiances then the Tory party is is on short time.
0: I think apparently as well um, Ed West has pointed out that in fact uh, you know this whole thing you know you're left-wing when you're young and you become more Mm. conservative apparently that's not
1: happening this time they're sort of staying into the 30s and 40s that might be because they're, they're delayed in becoming owner-occupiers. <laughs> yeah, um, it's time they grew I up. Mean, that, 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 <laughs> and, and, and housing policy, therefore, uh, could become yeah. crucial. And whether the Conservatives are so in the pocket of the big developers for various reasons that they're always talking a good game and never delivering, mm. you know, that's an issue that, um, you know, if I, if I was Keir Starmer, I would come up with a really massive house-building Policy concentrating on council houses as an issue that could perhaps unite the the metropolitan left and working class communities as well, for instance. Which he hasn't come up with any policies at all, has he?
0: (laughs) Can I sort of finish by asking you one thing? Might seem very a superficial consideration, but maybe not. What do you think the effect on this of GB News will be? Do you think it'll have any effect on this kind of discourse? and, this, and this, these outcomes we're talking
3: about? Well, I'm devoutly hoping so, um, because I think, you know, from my perspective, I think that the, the, the left has owned the game, the broadcasting game, for decades. Mm. And there has not been a platform for, um, for, I was just going to say, right wing news. What I mean, really, is news that fairly reflects the issues which concern people like us on the right. And um, GB News, um, well, you know, we have yet to see it, we've yet to understand it. And it, I think the, the problem for me, I think, with GB News, I, I, you know, I, I fail to see how it's gonna make money that's really... That's a that, different programme. We'll, <laughs> we'll get there at a different time. Uh, uh, but uh, but, uh, you know, but I, I have great hopes mm. that it is going to redress the balance mm. to an extent.
0: I, well, I mean, put it this way, the last election, this election, turned on the news, a uh, friend said to me, turned on the news and they thought, am I in an alternate universe? Because the news was about this great Labour surge in Wales, <laughs> right? Mm. They had sort of basically, you know, Mm. Uh, Very much gone, never sized up. What do you think about it? Do you think it's going to make a difference enough to make a difference to our general political culture?
1: I think there's a a potentially very large audience for it. Mm. And I hear that Andrew Neil is deadly serious about not being rushed and getting it right. Mm. Um, I I know they're aware, don't just become the Fox News of of the UK. I think that's quite right. They they need credibility. Uh, And just by being more balanced, than the existing broadcasters, they will be, quote, more right-wing because oh, the yes. liberal left agenda completely dominates, not just the BBC, but Sky and ITV News, yeah, Channel absolutely. for News completely. Yep. So um, I think they have a very large potential uh, market share, but, but I do hear what Robin says about, are they going to make money? And I've read articles from people fairly expert in their business who mm. can't work out how they would.
2: Mm. No, I agree completely. I think it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it with eager anticipation and I think it's it's crucial that they avoid um, going down any anywhere near the sort of path that Fox News has done if they're going to have any credibility in this country because this country is a lot more centrist than, than, yeah. than America is as a whole. And so if they are to also sway minds and hearts, it's important that they actually do have that balance. And I think that's why Andrew Neal's going about it in exactly the right way.
0: I think the uh, point being is that they might start covering stories that basically make the center right agenda wider yeah, yeah. You know, that can only help us anyway we shall see i think it's the autumn is coming isn't it but um robin thank you very much patrick thank you Rafe, as always thank you uh that's it for this week uh please do remember to subscribe won't you uh, but we shall see you next time on counterculture thank you